0: Section Sixty two of the Essays of Samuel Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essays of Samuel Johnson, Section Sixty two Minim the Critic, Two. Saturday, June fifteenth, seventeen fifty nine. Mr. Minim had now advanced himself to the zenith of critical reputation when he was in the pit every eye in the boxes was fixed upon him when he entered his coffee-house he was surrounded by circles of candidates who passed their novitiate of literature under his tuition his opinion was asked by all who had no opinion of their own and yet loved to debate and decide and no composition was supposed to pass in safety to posterity till it had been secured by minim's approbation minim professes great admiration of the wisdom and munificence by which the academies of the continent were raised and often wishes for some standard of taste for some tribunal to which merit may appeal from caprice prejudice and malignity he has formed a plan for an academy of criticism where every work of imagination may be read before it is printed and which shall authoritatively direct the theatres what pieces to receive or reject to exclude or to revive. Such an institution would, in Dick's opinion, spread the fame of English literature over Europe, and make London the metropolis of elegance and politeness, the place to which the learned and ingenious of all countries would repair for instruction and improvement, and where nothing would any longer be applauded or endured that was not conformed to the nicest rules and finished with the highest elegance, till some happy conjunction of the planets shall dispose our princes or ministers to make themselves immortal by such an academy, Minim contends himself to preside four nights in a week in a critical society selected by himself, where he is heard without contradiction, and whence his judgment is disseminated through the great vulgar and the small. When he is placed in the chair of criticism, he declares loudly for the noble simplicity of our ancestors, in opposition to the petty refinements and ornamental luxuriance. Sometimes he is sunk in despair and perceives false delicacy daily gaining ground, and sometimes brightens his countenance with a gleam of hope and predicts the revival of the true sublime. He then fulminates his loudest censures against the monkish barbarity of rhyme, wonders how beings that pretend to reason can be pleased with one line always ending like another tells how unjustly and unnaturally sense is sacrificed to sound how often the best thoughts are mangled by the necessity of confining or extending them to the dimensions of a couplet and rejoices that genius has in our days shaken off the shackles which had encumbered it so long yet he allows that rhyme may sometimes be borne if the lines be often broken and the pauses judiciously diversified from blank verse he makes an easy transition to Milton, whom he produces as an example of the slow advance of lasting reputation. Milton is the only writer in whose books Minim can read forever without weariness. What cause it is that exempts his pleasure from satiety he has long and diligently inquired, and believes it to consist in the perpetual variation of the numbers by which the ear is gratified and the attention awakened. The lines that are commonly thought rugged and unmusical, he conceives to have been written to temper the melodious luxury of the rest, or to express things by a proper cadence, for he scarcely finds a verse that has not this favorite beauty. He declares that he could shiver in a hot house when he reads that the ground burns frore and the cold performs the effect of fire, and that, when Milton bewails his blindness, the verse so thick a drop serene has quenched these orbs has he knows not how something that strikes him with an obscure sensation like that which he fancies would be felt from the sound of darkness minim is not so confident of his rules of judgment as not very eagerly to catch new light from the name of the author he is commonly so prudent as to spare those whom he cannot resist unless as will sometimes happen he finds the public combined against them. But a fresh pretender to fame he is strongly inclined to censure, till his own honor requires that he commend him. Till he knows the success of a composition, he entrenches himself in general terms. There are some new thoughts and beautiful passages, but there is likewise much which he would have advised the author to expunge. He has several favorite epithets, of which he never settled the meaning but which are very commodiously applied to books which he has not read or cannot understand. One is manly, another is dry, another stiff, and another flimsy. Sometimes he discovers delicacy of style, and sometimes meets with strange expressions. He is never so great nor so happy as when a youth of promising parts is brought to receive his directions for the prosecution of his studies. He then puts on a very serious air— he advises the pupil to read none but the best authors, and, when he finds one congenial to his own mind, to study his beauties but avoid his faults, and, when he sits down to write, to consider how his favorite author would think at the present time, on the present occasion. He exhorts him to catch those moments when he finds his thoughts expanded and his genius exalted, but to take care lest imagination hurry him beyond the bounds of nature he holds diligence the mother of success yet enjoins him with great earnestness not to read more than he can digest and not to confuse his mind by pursuing studies of contrary tendencies he tells him that every man has his genius and that cicero could never be a poet the boy retires illuminated resolves to follow his genius and to think how milton would have thought and minim feasts upon his own beneficence Till another day brings another pupil. End of section sixty two.